0: Mr. Kevin Cassidy, thanks for joining me today. How are you?
1: Doing good. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, especially when I saw your credentials, I was like, wow, okay, this guy's got a business about sports, and ninja thing we're going to get into. You know, what really got me, aside from your book, you know, is your backstory growing up in Hollywood. We all like to hear about Hollywood. <laughs> we, You know, we can't get away from that. So Kevin, can you give us a little hint about who you are? What it was like growing up, any challenges that you may have had growing up, how you overcame those challenges and how you became a Hollywood stunt man, or do I have to say stunt person nowadays?
1: Not a stunt man, it's probably, the, the stunt people are pretty, pretty tough-boned and tough-skinned, so no one really cares that much in that industry. <laughs> we are all brothers.
0: And then of course, if we're gonna talk about your book, Falling Down to Find Myself. Can we say, is this like a memoir?
1: Yeah, I'm calling it a philosophical memoir. It's a story of my life. I have some philosophical themes I weave through it to really hit home some some messages of how other people can use what I went through to better themselves and their lives.
0: Okay, okay, great. Well, let's start off by hearing that backstory about yourself.
1: Oh man, long story short, I keep trying to do, but it's never, it never ends up being short. But I was, <laughs> I was born in New York, mom's Queens, dad's Brooklyn, I was born on the island, and I was born with a very severe facial birth defect. I had a severe cleft palate, so when I was born, there was no—I had no nose. The roof of my mouth wasn't there. It was a big bubble from here, all the way back was just a bubble. So I've had countless surgeries and speech therapy, learning how to talk differently with different contraptions in my mouth as I made different things so I could talk and eat. And my mom had to feed me with an eyedropper for the first two years of my life because. I couldn't eat and I was you know, underweight and all that. So my family is very protective of me because I was you know, born like that. And then they become a Hollywood stuntman. So then they weren't too excited about me falling out of buildings for a living <laughs> after they spent so much time and effort to protect their precious little baby. But I moved from New York to North Carolina when I was 10 years old in 1987. So there's a lot of cultural issues there with my New York, Long Island accent. I brought a bagel to lunch one day. They thought it was a donut. They never saw a bagel down here in North Carolina back in, back in the 80s. And then I went on to be, you know, in those times, every, as a kid, adolescence, teasing, bullying, all that kind of stuff. Fought through a lot of that and was a good athlete, used physical sports as an as outlet. I was a writer, journaler, all that kind of stuff, a lot of outlets to help me deal with, you know, the... Struggles of being a, a bully to each kid couldn't talk right didn't look right, but with all that I found a good friend group I had a good family. I built a big good community I went on to play professional baseball and ended up being a Hollywood stuntman for 18 years So it was a long story short now. I I've retired from that. I've opened up a ninja warrior business I wrote a book. I'm doing mentorship programs I'm speaking at schools about bullying and and no confidence and so that's kind of the path I'm on right now mm. so
0: Yeah. As far as the bullying and stuff like that, since your book is probably has a lot to do with that part of growing up, what was this bullying like to you? Did it, when you look back on it, or even at that time, did it really hurt your feelings and bother you? Did it change how you behaved and what you did? And and did you have very many friends? Yeah.
1: So nature and nurture, I was just a tough kid. I didn't have a very long memory. I would get bullied or teased or made fun of, and luckily the my deformity was on my face. I couldn't see it, so I forgot it was there until someone would make fun of me for it. I didn't really hear how I talked the way other people heard me talk, so I thought I kind of talked fine. So all that made it for, I forgot that I was funny-looking and talked funny. And I, you know, it was more constant teasing with some heavy bullying, but I I forgot. I never internalized it. I never put value in it. I never. I identified as a bully kid because I was still trying to play sports and I had a good friend group and I was still able I think in this day and age it'd be a lot harder to go through that because you got social media and it never ends Where when I was in school, you would get teased and bullied maybe get in a fight And I was still only 25% of your day. It's still like 75% of your day where no one was bothering you You're playing ball or you can make some friends and then they'll come back. It was it's always like a, a circle of it but I was I was enough where I could leave it, figure out who I was, where nowadays with social media, and it's never going to end. You're always on it. So I think the bullying, teasing phase with technology is a lot harder to deal with now than it was when I was a kid.
0: What's interesting, though, is I've really never heard, even on television shows and listening to others speak about being bullied, the way you put it, hey, it was only 25% of the day. And I—that that is huge because you never, I personally have never heard anybody look at it that way or or just say it point blank you know what there's only 25 percent of my day i had 75 percent of the day left to to do the things i want be who i want so where did that come from
1: nowadays there's so much currency and victim mentality and being a victim and you get points for it and back then my new york irish italian family and the people i was interacting with went to some pretty rough schools no one had time for that no one cared you pick yourself up or go away we don't i mean it, there was no value in in being defeated by it, and my parents, you know, pros and cons of this. They, even to this day, my mom would say, "I never knew you were getting bullied." I said, "Mom, I didn't have a face. I was went to a really rough school. I came from, How would you not get everyone? Every kick is teased or bullied a little bit, and but I I was able to to face it head on, I could not hide from it. Some people who are going through, like, bad homes or learning disabilities or something like that, they can kind of maybe pretend that's not who they are and they're not dealing with it. They can build up some fake persona and all that. I could, I didn't have the ability to do that. It was literally on my face and out of my mouth. Deal with it. Figure it out. You're going to be miserable or you're going to be happy. And because I never knew anything different, it was always like that. It wasn't like I was normal, had an accident, now I'm getting teased, and that's a whole new world for me. Like from birth this is how i was so it was always something that i care that was just kind of a normal part of my life it made me, made it easier for me to handle and not internalize and not put value in i never put value that i was a bully kid just like i didn't put value that I was a hollywood stuntman hanging out with famous people all the time i i left that as fast as i left my my bully mentality so i never put value or ownership in or identity i'm going
0: to just ask you and jump right to the point so if you were to say to somebody out there right now who is being bullied? Is that one of the key points? Is don't put value to it.
1: Yeah, I think it's hard to do. And how do you do that? How do you not internalize it? You're. depends what age you are. You're 11, 10 years old. You have a New York accent with no face. You're going to take some value in that. Put more value in who you are. That kind of friend you are. That kind of brother you are. That kind of son and parent or teammate or all the. In my book, I call it the who versus What all your internal characteristics are who you are. What is just an external thing? What I was the bully kid, what I was a Hollywood stuntman. what I was was a homeless adult. There's a lot of what's. Don't put any value or, or, or identity in those what's. Build up your who, your internal, how much how good a friend you are, your character, and all that stuff will be easier to deal with. It's hard to do, especially when you're young, when you're adolescent, you're figuring it out. Even without the bullying and my birth defect, kids that age always are learning where the line is. No, I'm trying to ask a girl out, do I know her? Yeah, not know her? Okay, where's the line here? My friends, does, does she like me? Or is that guy my buddy? or you know, every, That's what you do at that age. That's, there's a lot of positive growth. There's a reason evolutionary that we, like we go through that. And I was kind of forced to go through that at a you know, faster, <laughs> elevated pace. And it actually made me a lot better off in life looking down at like all the things I went through being bullied and everything. Maybe a strong and more resilient person going forward. So I, I like to—I call it being bully-proof. We're never going to stop bullies. Never going to stop human nature. Never encourage it, obviously, but create a strong enough community that bullies don't bother me. People who bullied me a year later, I was on the same sports team with them, friends with them, forgave them, had empathy. A lot of the bullies are going through things you don't know anything about. They're insecure. They're whatever. They're projecting their outward stuff on you because you're an outward. Projection of their life and the empathy went both ways. And again, I, I was able force to face that at a young age and it really actually helped me through life.
0: Do you think writing this down would help meaning that? You know if you're the person that's going through this if you're the one that's being bullied or whatever it might be if you, if you Write down your positive affirmations, you know the good things about me and Maybe the things I need to work on so that way you actually you know, so you know who you are so you could build on that. Is that yeah. something you think that would help kids yeah, absolutely. or not even I mean, just kids? I guess anybody, everybody. right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what you give attention to grows, what you feed grows, what you water grows. And if all you're feeding and, and pouring water on and cultivating is I'm a bully kid, nobody likes me, then you're going to be stuck in that little well forever. So yeah, writing down, talking, just like self-talk. Hey, you know, I had a great Recess today. Everyone played with me. I high five kids. That was a really fun time. I want to let's build that up. Let's let's pour water on there. Let's cultivate that part of my day and not the other part of my day. You get to choose what you focus on, and it's hard to focus on the positive because it's kind of default to look at the negative. But definitely, you have to internalize some of the stuff and say, what what am I doing? If you're the best friend you can be, if you're a a nice person, people want to hang out with you. All that stuff will shine way more through than any reason you're getting bullied eventually. And you'll find good people who are going to care more about that than whatever reason you're being bullied. And, and grow that part of yourself. And learn to focus on those 5, 10, 15, 20, 30-minute parts of your day that were just, I oh, that, was, that was a really good move that day. That was great. I did my work really well. guy was really nice to me. Or, and then every day that will go from 15 to 20 to 30 to 40. And before you know it, that's 90% of your day. Uh, the positive stuff you forgot about the other 10% because who cares about that? This is, I'm a happier person now because I focus on this. So flipping your focus definitely can can help kids.
0: You're making (laughs) me a happy guy right now. (laughs) Uh, You know what? Yeah. Self-talk. I like that. This is all great. And this is all in your your new book, Falling Down to Find Myself. And that just came out a month and a half ago, right?
1: Yeah. End of September, it got published.
0: If you're listening to this in the future, we're talking about september 2022 (laughs) i want to digress a little bit and we'll come back and talk definitely about the book hollywood you said you were a very good athlete but had challenges what made you go in the direction of hollywood because you know we all think about hollywood and say oh hey it's all the beautiful people but then you went towards the stuntman that portion of hollywood how how did you get there? How did you do that?
1: Pretty random story. I think a lot of things that I had built up inside of me, you know, growing up, enabled me to just take some chances and had confidence, and I'll figure it out. So I played a little bit of minor league baseball, and I was a teacher in Baltimore City, in Baltimore, Maryland. And there was a sport on TV called Slam Ball. It's full contact basketball and trampolines. It was on TV for a couple of years. Pat Proche, the owner of the Philadelphia 76ers was the owner of the league Kobe Bryant's dad was a coach Shaq was a commentator it got pretty big and there's a tryout for it and me and my buddy went to a tryout in Philadelphia just as a goof I messed around and made it they shipped me out to LA and for another tryout and I make it again and they put me up in LA for about four months to do this slam ball sport and met a lot of people had a lot of fun was you know one of the better players at my position in the league. I had some notoriety. I was on billboards and stuff for a little bit. And that's pretty cool. I'm 24 years old in LA, making no money, just you know living in a hotel and making food money. And a couple of guys I met in that world were stunt people. They they specialized in sports movies. So they did a lot of football movies like The Replacements or Any Given Sunday. They're ex-college athletes that found their way into this movie world. So sleeping on one of my buddy's couches out there and he was involved in that world, went to another tryout from the movie The Longest Yard with Adam Sandler, Burt Reynolds, Michael Irvin, Ellie, Terry Crews, Chris Rock, made it through that tryout and got my SAG card, my Screen Actors Guild, and did some stunts, made a lot of money, had a lot of fun, met a lot of famous people, hard work, good times, good money, I'm getting out now, probably 25. I'm gonna ride this wave as long as I can, as long as I can stay on it. And then when it kicks me, I'll I'll go back to get a real job. 18 years later, I'm looking to uh, escape it.
0: The glitter, the glam—we're all fascinated by it. Any stories that you can tell, and also, do you have any stories or examples in your book as far as any difficulties that you may have had in that career?
1: Yeah, the I was never really enamored with the Hollywood. The, the, I never wanted to be famous. I didn't want to have it in lines and talk with my speech impediment throw me down the stairs and i'll go home and give me a check i'm happy to, to do my athletic stuff and leave so stunts fit in perfectly for my mentality and, and the way i was good at and what i was focused on but stunts is just a little cocoon in that hollywood world where it's all word of mouth there's no agents no managers no auditions sometimes big football movies will have a big audition like i did but that's very few and far between so it's all word of mouth you have to back when i was in it the old cowboys ran it all the rodeo guys kind of like were the hub of it now a bunch of fight guys are the hub of it but you have to just train immerse yourself in the community build your reputation take one job do a good job train how to do fights better car driving fire put tools in your tool bag you just keep showing up and hoping you get a phone call you know one two three four years later you build up your reputation that you show up on time you're hard working you deliver what you promise and now all of a sudden you have a blooming career and that's awesome. And that is just right next to the Hollywood fame and fortune and we make good money. That's, that's fair. But the fact there's no agents or managers, there's no like entourage helping us out. No one's getting a piece of our money. We're self-employed. We have all of our money. There's no one. We're not paying 10% to anybody, or 20% to anybody like agents and managers get. So we're protected from that. A lot of that crazy narcissism in, in that world. But we're right there next to it, and we hang out with it a lot. So it's definitely privy to a lot of those things. But we see a lot of the actors, are the best versions of themselves. So mm-hmm. Like Tom Holland, he was a great guy anyway. But if there was someone who wasn't maybe as normal as Tom is, and uh, maybe more of a diva, like Angelina Jolie. I worked with Angelina Jolie on a movie called Salt. And I assumed that she would be very diva-ish and high-maintenance. And I got to do a fight scene with her, and I if I grab her, she get mad at me. You know, how do I approach this? And I kind of walk on eggshells. I didn't really know because I built the up in my head. And the minute I met her, shook her hand, knew everyone's name on the set, did the whole fight herself, was tough, was nice, was getting people water bottles. I mean, just a the most down-to-earth, nice, hardworking, genuine human being, which is wow. an example of what I say in, in my book, who you are matters more than what you are. Angelina Jolie has a million what. She's famous. I mean, the famous most beautiful person you can well, all the what's in the world But when you meet her who she is erases all that what right? You don't care about any of that because she's just a nice genuine human being That's kind of the one of the philosophical themes throughout my book and I use some other Hollywood stories like that to personify that so there's a lot of 95% of the people I met in Hollywood great people and especially we get them like you want to be a star Leave your entourage at the door. You're coming into our stunt world. We're going to teach you how to fight. We're going to teach you how to drive a car. Bring your sweatpants and don't wear your makeup. This is our world. And then they're like, oh, they kind of like that. And they get the guard down. We get to know who they are. And then when you see them like red carpet and everything, and they're a little more buttoned up, and they see the stunt team, they're like, oh, these stunt guys. And it makes them feel good that they can kind of come down to normal. So we get that version of most actors and actresses, which is really cool.
0: Hmm. So... 95% 95% of them are, are good who's in that 5% <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can't remember yeah. any names but um,
1: I'm, in my experience that 5% are either some directors or producers who are just full of themselves they're money back there's really no reality people no one really grounding them or they're the mid-major people some of the movies I did had huge famous stars on them and then other guys were just starting to be famous and the guys who are just starting, guys and girls who are just starting to be famous for the ones who usually were a little more ego. I should act like this. I'm uh-huh. trying to figure this out or uh, growing pains. And they thought, and then you see those same people five years later and oh, they figured it out. They've come down and they know how to be in that world and be humble or they've gone the other direction they are just complete lunatics. But usually people find some humility and once you're there long enough, you realize that no, not such a movie, what are you gonna do? But the people who are just starting to get that fame and those are the ones that usually are a little more of a headache, a little more diva-esque in my experience.
0: Do you have a a, <laughs> a favorite memory or favorite movie that you were on?
1: The first Marvel movie I did was Ant-Man and I was hired to be the yellow jacket character, the main bad guy, his stunt doubles. Everything in the yellow jacket suit, the supervillain suit was me fighting Ant-Man, fighting Paul Rudd, the whole movie. And we got to choreograph how that guy moved, how my character moved. What powers he have? could he fly could he not fly can he shoot things can he grab things what can he do so that was really a cool creative process of creating a character with the actually actor and the producer and the director about how we're going to build this guy how you know what he can do how he can do it that was pretty neat and then i did a movie called i am number four it was i played an alien in it and there was a bunch of really Big time stunt people, and a, a guy named Brad Allen, who was on Jackie Chan's stunt team. His right hand man was a guy named Pong, who was a Chinese wushu world champion, one of the best parkour guys in the world. Damien Walters was a double for the main guy. We got an Adam is one of the best stunt guys in the world. He was he was there, and I was there. Well, I you know, it was way out of my league, so I learned a lot. I was able to play aliens, double people. I helped with the stunt rigging team, which is making the pulleys and flying people, helped with a fight choreographer with Jackie Chan's guy. So I really learned a lot of different avenues, was thrown in to a lot of different avenues in that one that really blossomed my career and and, and helped me and the people were so nice and encouraging. That, that, was, that was a really good one.
0: So you are in your early 20s or mid-20s when you're doing all this and growing up older. Would you say, did this... Did this help you in any way, as far as being more confident and the who you are? Because this was all prior to writing your book.
1: Yeah, yeah. The who definitely enabled me to just take a chance to go to LA and figure it out. I was confident who I was and my abilities and humble enough to know that I might not make it, I'm, you know, I might not be good enough. And if not cool, I'll go back and, and teach and coach and mentor. And I have a whole lot of other things I'm passionate about that I can do, but I'm confident enough with, you know, go for it, give it a shot. And then in the stunt world, there's a lot of failures. You don't get the job one day because some other guy got it. You might be better than that person, but you don't get the job. So there's a lot of failures, a lot of grind, There's a lot of... And you're your own business. You make your own headshots, your own resumes. You're, you're your whole team. You're the business owner and the product and the marketing person and the salesperson. And, and again, and the product. So you better have a good product to market. And that product better not break. If you break your arm, you can't work tomorrow. So you better figure out how to do it without getting too hurt to build. So all of that definitely strengthened my who, just being humbled over and over again. I played, you know, I played minor league baseball, so I was a good baseball player. And there's a stuntman softball league out in LA, wow. and I go play in the stunt league. I'm like, oh, I'm a better athlete than all these people. Like I'm a good, I'm fast. My, that's my game. And then you know, a year later, you're like, oh, that guy is a world class martial artist. Oh, so that guy's a rodeo champion. That guy's a Red Bull skydiver. Well, that guy just backflips flips on motorcycles. Okay, there's there's a little more to this stunt world than just being just athletic. So it was definitely a humbling, grinding, hard work, motivating, exciting kind of thing to actually my who got me there and my who definitely doubled when I was there going through it. And the community issues. A lot of things in my life, you meet so many good friends and good people who build you up and gravitate towards that. And uh, I've been very lucky in my life to always have that around and finding that and it's, it's always there. So that stunt community has that in space. There's some really good, awesome people.
0: Wow. So while you were doing all this, did you have in the back of your mind about writing a book about your life or did that come later on and what triggered you to decide to write if it wasn't at that time or if you hadn't been planning on it for years?
1: It kind of came later. Um, I always wanted to get back to, I always had a pull to get back to mentoring or teaching or opening a gym or doing some positive. The longer I was in Hollywood, I was getting pulled away from that. And I have family now. I have three young daughters, a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old. So I'm in the trenches of fatherhood, too. So that humbles you, too. So never, (laughs) never far from being humble in my life, which is a good thing. Um, But as I was getting towards the end of my stunt career... I always had a lot of, like, presentations I had made. PowerPoints about bullying or my birth defect or this. I'm like, oh, man, I'm a Hollywood stuntman. That's a pretty cool catch. So that, that might get me, you know, someone's attention. So looking back on some of the things I always journal or write as I knew I would get back to that at some... There was a lot of material there. And then when COVID hit, all the movies shut down. And I was getting... I wanted to leave the business anyway because my family was growing and I was never home. Hollywood owes you. I was in... London and Prague on Spider-Man Far From Home for like four months came home one weekend for my daughter's birthday flew right back to London good money great job but you're gone your family's not there and I knew I didn't want to do that anymore so COVID hitting my family growing my pull to get out of there anyway I had all this material written down presentations what I wanted to do and then a guy in the stunt world, a guy who used to double Spider-Man, one of the best stunt guys in the world. Well, he's an old guy like me now, but he's, he, he used to get paid, I don't know, five or ten grand a pop. To He was Spider-Man stunt double in all the Tobey Maguire movies. And to go to these like, motivational speaking places and like, hey, I'm a Spider-Man. Look at me do a backflip. Here's my Spider-Man suit. And he was getting paid good money to do that on the side. I'm like, that's pretty cool. We can use this Hollywood thing to really maybe turn some corners and, and grow some things. And I wanted to grow it in a positive way with my story and the bullying aspect. And now, again, COVID hit, and I'm trying to put all this stuff on paper together to maximize something else I wanted to do with this. And then talking to writers and getting better at writing and someone said, hey, just write the book. Write it all down. Put your philosophical things in there and be done with it. And then you can pick and choose what you want. Your book will be out there. That's a good idea. So it gave me something to do, so I just wrote the whole book. So having some like little pieces here and there, write the whole thing. And there are two options. One was like a 400 page, like novel character development. My mom, my dad, and all, which was cool, but I'm not a good enough writer for that. At that point, Probably still not. And then again, these focus groups and other things I was talking to, like, what do you want to do with the book? I want to get in front of the students. I want to get in front of the kids. I want to motivate and talk about bullying and, and who you are, what you are. The messages is what I want to get through. Kind of, and shorten the book make it a quick hitter with all that stuff in there to get the point across so then you can come and talk to the kids about the message later. So that's the book I I ended up writing. It's about 150 pages, has a lot of cool Hollywood stories, a lot of cool stories about my childhood, and has their philosophical themes weaved in there that I'm building a curriculum around it to talk to kids and and teachers. So long story short, again, the book was kind of a passion project that that pulled together everything I've been working on, and then COVID, you know, fleshed it all out
0: yeah once again for everybody that's watching and listening the book is falling down to find myself and it's the author's kevin cassidy and you know of course you can find it everywhere books are available
1: yeah nowadays with technology it's a good part about the book publishing you just on demand you can go to amazon i have a website kevin k-e-v-i-n-c-a-s-s.com you can link that to amazon or google it everything's pretty easy to find nowadays
0: everything that you've talked about is is really resonating and I'm sure it's resonating for a lot of people out there whether they've been bullied or not but just your day-to-day life can be difficult and I'm going to go back to what you said is it's just 25% of your day and I would have to imagine that it's very rare that somebody's gonna have 100% of their day go absolutely wrong and haywire you always have to look at that positive side so that's, that's a fantastic message.
1: And I think even though it's not bullying, transitions are huge. Everyone goes through a transition in life, whether it's high school to college or school to work, or from not being a parent to being a parent or being married to not married. Or now I have aging parents. My mom's getting older. That's a transition. My kids get older. You lose a job. You get hurt. Everyone goes through a transition. And when you go through transitions, you need to build onto that interior who you are. Because those what's are going to rotate and change and flip upside down. And if you can't deal with that, if you don't know who you are, then those what's are going to wreck you at some point. So anyone in the transition, empty nesters, I get a lot of feedback from so many people in different stages of their lives. Just realize that even if it is 100% of your day that you had a crappy day, gonna them to 100% tomorrow, sack 100% to next day. And maybe it's not. Maybe you convince yourself like 100%. Maybe you just focused on it so deeply that all the other good things you blocked out because you were so focused on feeding this 100% of, of your day was bad. You forgot about the other 30% that you just that rushed by. And you can flip that on its head with some, with some mental focus.
0: Does it help talking about whatever you're going through with somebody, whether it be a therapist or a friend? I'm imagining that if it's a work thing, you don't want to bring your colleagues into it, but does it help talking about it? It does for me. I think
1: absolutely. Getting out in the world, it makes it real. Like it, it, When it's just in your mind, that's one reality. When it's out in the world, even just speaking, it makes it another reality. And it makes you reflect more on yourself, reflect more. It makes who you're talking to. If you're talking to a really shallow person and you only care about them, that's not going to do anything. There's a lot of narcissistic people in the world that will just, everything you say, their first word is, well, I did this. And I remember when I had this and... Maybe that's not the right person to talk to. But they're a great therapist, friends, co-workers. If you have that relationship with them, hey, off the books, we talk about this. But that's why even writing it down, journaling, even if you're talking to yourself or putting it down in a tangible form, just getting it out, it is just it releases it. For whatever reason, it's true. It gets the stress out, gets it out of you and into the world. And if you have a good friend or family or anyone that you can, you know, shoulder to the cry on, lean on. Huge. And then they'll do the same for you. And it makes me feel better when people start telling me their stories and I can help, you know, that makes, that lifts me up more to being a, a ear, a, a ear for somebody it makes me feel better than I've said it so many times that I'm kind of out there, which is awesome. But once you put that out there for yourself, other mm-hmm. people do the same to you. And then you get that symbiotic relationship, which really makes all of it grow. But if you don't have that person in that group, find it. They're there, open yourself up for it. And before that, write it down, journal it, admit it to the world. Hey, I had a bad day, but hey, here's what happened. Good today. There's a 5 things thing. are really pretty good. Cool. Go to bed. Think about those five things and you're never a little bit better. There's a lot of small things you can do to change your, your self-talk and your mental focus.
0: I like that journaling and you really don't have to write a story every day about it. You're just logging in what happened and how you feel. So that's really good. And as far as finding support and being supportive is a great, great idea. I imagine there's always somebody that needs some sort of shoulder to lean on. And if you're there for them, like I said, it can make you feel good. And perhaps they will be there for you when you need it. So these are all really fantastic points. I got got to ask you, you've got three, like I said, you've got three young girls in the family. What is next in your life?
1: Oh man, I'm building a curriculum around the book right now, talking to schools. I may write a a children's book with some help to get even younger kids with bullying, being the bully proof person, like a superpower is being bully proof, attacking bullying from the other side. So following that passion, my girls are getting older, going to start playing soccer and sports or dance or chess club, whatever they get into. I hope it's something cool and neat I never heard of so I can try to learn it with them. I'm a golfer. I like to golf, so I'm hoping one of my daughters likes to golf. Just being there to watch them grow and hold them accountable. I'm a big tough love guy. I say I love you a thousand times a day, but well, I'll throw that iPad out the window. Don't challenge me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think you need both. You need the tough and the love. I'm, I'm big on both. And I really decided to to watch them grow and grow this message in this book and whatever direction that takes me. I'm, I'm all ears.
0: All right. You have become one hundred percent a dad. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. I yeah. guess there's really no better life than that.
1: Yeah, that's one thing that's gonna be hard not to identify as. Like, that's one thing like I don't I'm gonna put value in that one. That's that's one what that I'm gonna if, if that changes, if something happens, it's gonna it's gonna tear me down. But that's one that I think is probably okay to put value in and, and some identity in.
0: Gosh. Once again for everybody Kevin's new book is called Falling Down to Find Myself, and you can go to his website at kevincast.com, and there's a lot of information about Kevin uh, on his website. He talks about his business that we didn't really get into, the Ninja Nation. Let's talk. A couple minutes about ninja nation and take off of the slam ball
1: kind of so it's more of the stunt worlds when i was leaving hollywood i had a lot of the book was one thing but i needed a tangible business i needed to make some money and i needed to i wanted to build something with my hands i had a business plans to open up a parkour ninja warrior facility i was a baseball player and i really thought that football baseball basketball all these big sports were Okay, for lack of a better word, soul-sucking at a young age. Like if you're good at eight years old, you're getting picked on the travel team. you got some middleman. Pay me $1,000. dollars i get them a scholarship. And you're traveling all weekend. And these kids are eight. Let them have fun. Stop. Now, at some point, you're good enough. You're high school. Yeah, you know, let's go and try to be pro. But I, I hated how so monetized at such a young age was major sports. I did not want to be in that world those kind of parents. That was not going to make me happy. So in my stunt world, I knew a lot of parkour athletes and motocross athletes and ninja warriors and I call them the S-Games mentality. And I really loved them. mentality. They built each other up. There was just a great vibe of community that they were just conquering challenges just for conquering challenges. So like guys who were skateboarding 30 years ago, there was no money in skateboarding. You just did it because you wanted to learn how to get better at skateboarding. And that culture grew that way. Now you can go into S-Games and make money on it, but still, the the foundational culture hasn't really shifted people lose and they're hugging the guy who won I and mean, they're ha- so happy for the guy who won the mbs games so it's a true genuine happiness you don't get that in any other sport which i really wanted to copy and paste that put more of that in society and the way i decided to do it was a ninja warrior type facility so there's no college scholarships can't go pro but it it will challenge you it will make you better it's fun it's a playground there are pads everywhere from five-year-old to 105, we have a competitive team, we do birthday parties, we do summer camps. There's no school today because we're voting. So there's an all-day camp there today. My daughter's and my six-year-old's in the camp right now. It's just all we call play, train, and compete. You can come play, you can train, get better, take a class, or join a competitive team. It's a really cool competitive community for kids to be involved in. That's a little bit removed from the soul-sucking sharks in the water and all the other sports.
0: <laughs> Sounds like a lot of fun and it definitely sounds like it's a, a character builder too. So, yeah. Once again, Kevin, thank you very much. I really enjoyed our conversation today.
1: Thank you a lot. I appreciate it.